This is episode 215 of the Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts podcast. This episode is titled Paddington Bear and Michael Bond. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts, the mostly self-explanatory show about stuff we like. I'm your host, Jennifer Crittenden. This show is a reboot of Dear Discreet Guide, which ended with 202 episodes at the end of year 2020. So thank you for joining us in the new show. I'm excited to see where this new adventure will take us. I am so pleased to welcome a new guest to the show today. I've got Roseanne Tolan with us. She's the author of a book called More Than Marmalade, which is about Michael Bond, who wrote the Paddington Bears stories. So today will be a very fun day. We'll get to talk about Paddington and Michael Bond and uh, Roseanne Tolan. Uh, so welcome to the show, Roseanne. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. It's great to have you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. This will be very fun. Uh, so I'll introduce Roseanne. She's a graduate of Indiana University. Go Hoosiers. Go Hoosiers. And uh, the Chicago Kent School of Law. She's the mother of four kids. She describes them as four fantastic kids and also of two dogs and a horse. Uh, she is very involved with her children and says she has spent the past decade uh, cheering her children from the sidelines of football, soccer fields, the track, wrestling match, and the pool deck. So very active kids, too. During her 20-year career, she's held several editorial positions, including managing editor of Guideposts for Kids magazine and Guideposts for Kids website. She was a media blogger for the Jewish Federation of St. Louis, project manager of Doorposts, which is a biannual publication for educators, and was a staff features writer for the Times newspaper of Northwest Indiana. And we just recently had another guest on the show who uh, also wrote for that newspaper. So, yeah, we're really, we're, yeah, it's funny. We're like oh, the Times goodness. newspaper yeah, moment for the podcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Roseanne's work has garnered uh, multiple awards from respected organizations such as the Educational Publishers Association, Parents Guide, and American Library Association. So first, Roseanne, I just want to say thank you so much for writing this book about Michael Bond. I didn't know very much about him and, of course, learned a lot from your book. But, you know, there's some really interesting themes that you bring up about him that I'm really looking forward to getting into. So, yeah, thanks for the work that you've done on that book. I think it's really novel and, and useful. Thank you so much. I'm hoping that um, both Paddington fans and those who maybe know very little about Paddington Bear and Michael Bond, maybe don't even know. Most most people know who Paddington Bear is, but maybe you've never heard of Michael Bond. You've only seen the, the Paddington movies. Um, I'm hoping that uh, people get to know the man behind the bear a little bit better. And he has a pretty amazing backstory. Yeah, he does. So true confessions. I love Paddington. I 
spent quite a bit of time at Paddington Station because I worked in England and went back and forth a lot and passed through London. But I didn't discover Paddington until I was an adult. We were more of a Winnie the Pooh family. Uh, but I really enjoyed reading him to my children. So I was didn't know him as a child myself, but enjoyed reading him to my kids. There's something really touching about his story about this bear who comes from darkest Peru and appears at Paddington Station where he meets Mr. and Mrs. Brown. And he's just so polite and such a thoughtful and empathetic little character, but get always seems to end up in some kind of trouble, uh, you know, just innocently causing some uh, usually amusing havoc. Uh, so, yeah, he's really a special little character. But as I say, I didn't know anything about his author's history and especially the theme of refugees until I discovered your book. So that was, you know, quite interesting to me that one of the reasons Michael Bond wrote about Paddington was because of his sympathy for refugees. Yes, and that is uh, very true. And I just want to say that like you, I spent a lot of time in London. So I have really an affinity for the city. And that really drew me to Paddington Bear because he really is very British in his sensibility and his manner and sort of his dry humor through all of his mishaps. But yes, the seed for the story actually originated with a article that I read in Tablet Magazine. And I think the headline was something like, um, Paddington Bear's Jewish roots. And uh, when I discovered what he was really, what Paddington was really modeled after, the kinder transport children who showed up at the London train stations when Michael Bond was a boy uh, that impacted him, the scenes of those children looking so forlorn, um, so sad without their parents. They were lonely. They had just one little suitcase. They had the tags around their necks that said, please look after me. So he modeled Paddington after them with his please look after this bear tag and his little suitcase and his longing for a family, which he found in the Browns. So I just thought this was such a fascinating thing that I had never recognized before or or heard of before. And no biography had actually ever been written about Michael Bond. So Mm. that was the seed for the story. And this is actually the first biography ever written about him. It happens to be for a middle grade audience because that's what I love to I love to write for kids. But yeah, unusually, it was the first biography ever written about Michael Bond. So one of the things that's really enjoyable also about your book are the photographs. And I'm not quite sure what the technology is now, but I actually purchased the book as a Kindle book. But the photographs come out really, really well. And they're a couple of photographs of the little kinder transport kids in the train station, you know, with mm-hmm. their belongings and the tag. And yeah, I mean, the resemblance is uncanny, right? I mean, he, you know, it's very clear that that Michael Bond um, designed Paddington to reflect those things that he saw. So very accurate, right? But yeah, great photographs, not just of the kids, but of all kinds of spots around London. And yeah, it it came out really well in the book. Wonderful. I I love hearing that. I 
I had to do a lot of the research with the photographs as a lot of nonfiction writers have to do mm-hmm. quite often, no matter the, even the size of the publishing house, often uh, a nonfiction writer is at least in some part responsible for finding photographs. Um, and then from there, it's just a matter of budget. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about of the two children with the suitcase. And I love that photograph, too. Yeah, it's a really great photograph. One of my favorite interesting story, kind of, I did reach out to the family a few times and it was difficult to get them to release any photographs for use. So I really, mm. I really did have to, um, and I can appreciate that they, they are very protective of Michael and his, I don't want to say his estate per se, but his, just his persona, his person, mm-hmm. you know, and he is a, uh, he was an amazing individual and I can understand that. So I really had to go about other ways to find photographs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you what you used for uh, reference resources for the book. So unfortunately I could not talk to Michael throughout the writing of the book. I really longed to talk to him because I could, you know, sort of hear his voice in my head as I was doing my research. But I I did hear him speak on some some audio interviews and then many, you know, newspaper article, a lot of research through there. And and that intertwined with really I had to do a lot of World War II research at the same time, particularly at the time that Michael um, was a young child and London at the time. So those two things were sort of very intertwined. And then I just sort of almost pieced together his life like a puzzle, mm-hmm. you know, with the with everything I could possibly find. And then as a last resource, and I purposely used it as a last resource, there is, uh, he did write a, an autobiography called Bears and Forebears, like F-O-R-E, Bears. Oh. And... It's pretty rare if you if you go on Amazon. Yeah, I've never heard it's, of it. It's, yeah, it's not. You know, I don't know how well that ever. So I, I don't mm. think there's many copies, and I, I, I don't see. think it's in print. Um, and my husband actually gave it to me as a gift while I was writing the story, which was wow, you very very sweet. Job. Yeah, I really <laughs> I really cherish it. I really cherish uh-huh. it. But um, so I purposely sort of saved that for last to then sort of fact check some of my things. He had a lot of anecdotes in there that I had already read about. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to see for the most part, I had been, you know, accurate in what I'd already put down on paper. And his autobiography is not really a linear one. Mm -hmm. Again, it has sort of anecdotes and scenes and some of those were really fun to include. So that was helpful too. But um, it it took a while, you know, it it takes a long while, (laughs) especially with somebody so legendary. You know, Mm -hmm. you want to get it right. Mm -hmm. And he lived a long time. There are some really delightful stories in the book about Michael Bond and also his dad, um, who seems like kind of a character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting to think about these two guys that seem to have a pretty kind of playful personality. You tell the story about Michael being sent home from school with a note saying that he suffers from a distorted sense Mm -hmm. of humor, (laughs) 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 which somehow, yeah, you could just see, yeah, you could just see Paddington being sent home with that kind Mm -hmm. of note too. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So true. So true. Yeah. And there's one about his dad 
uh, he tells a story about his dad that he, when he went on holiday and would go into the water, you know, to cool his legs off or, or uh, soak his feet or, or wet his feet, that he would leave his hat on because he wanted to be sure that if he met somebody, he could, you know, raise his, raise his hat to that person, you know, just keeping mm-hmm. sort of thinking ahead about how polite he wanted to be. And again, you know, just reminds me so much of the Paddington character. There's something just so upright about Paddington and funny. So did, so how much do you think Michael used either his dad or himself as a model for Paddington? Um, I, I definitely think he used his dad. And I think that the character of Paddington was made up of probably a lot of figures in his life or even just experiences Mm. a lot like any writer writing a particularly you know a fictional character or fictional story you can't really help most times but put some of your own influences and pieces and parts of you know other people you know I've heard a lot of writers joke about you know they might put a character in to sort of get revenge on (laughs) somebody actually in their life kill Um, and then kill them off that kind of thing. And def- definitely uh, Paddington, the politeness, I think was absolutely, you know, modeled after his uh, dad. De- his mm. dad was definitely the inspiration for that. And I think definitely the hat. Oh, mm-hmm. but there were other parts too, like, you know, not just, you know, sort of the tag and, you know, wanting a, a sort of a found family, mm-hmm. you know, which was the refugees. There was his agent who was, mm-hmm a Hungarian refugee who, you know, they shared Mr. Gruber in the Paddington stories is definitely um, inspired by his literary agent. Oh, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Gruber, I think really um, is representative of uh, Michael Bond's literary agent. Ah, gotcha. Who was a refugee who came with, you know, very, very little money to Britain and had success. You know, mm-hmm. came with very little to his name. So I think he's, I think he's definitely, uh, and and also a lot of the experiences that Michael had um, living in a very at that time in London. You know, all the flavors and smells and people and his work at the BBC, where he was in contact with a whole diverse group of colorful people. That I I think all of those things really kind of molded the character a lot of different inspirations but definitely the hat and the politeness which is a huge part of Paddington where his father Uh Michael would agree with that for sure one of the things that of course surprising when you learn about a writer who dropped out of school at a young age so he dropped out at 14 and then I didn't quite make it in the air force from seasickness maybe Mm -hmm. He couldn't handle the air pressure. He would get nauseous. Yeah. Gotcha. From air sickness, I guess. Yeah. Air sickness. That's a better mm-hmm. way to describe it. Yep. Uh, so he went into the army. And then, as you mentioned, he went to go work at the BBC on a children's program, doing a lot of writing in the meantime, but eventually landing on the story of Paddington and becoming very successful. So I wanted to ask you what you thought about that career progression now, now today, uh, do you think a person who followed that path could become a writer today? 
I do today now, and I would say the the industry has really even changed so much, even in the last couple of years, Mm. where I think, you know, those who, you know, maybe have the privilege of a university education and et cetera, you know, for a period of time, I would say that probably others were more excluded from, Mm. you know, being authors um, or from having, you know, real success, not altogether, obviously, but... But I think as of late, you know, there's a lot more openness because very much open arms to different schools of thought, authors of color, authors of different religious backgrounds, authors of, you know, and I, which is a really great trend. So I think you're hearing more from more and more. You're getting more and more. I know in the children's realm anyway, mm. I can't really speak to the adult realm. But in the children's realm, you're getting this whole wealth of really beautiful, amazing, diverse stories. So I think from that, you know, that are a little more non-traditional uh-huh. and even historical novels and things that aren't necessarily, you know, always from a Western perspective. Or mm-hmm. So I think today, actually, he really, it, it wouldn't matter that he was maybe not as educated or or that sort of thing. And also, especially I think for children's writing, the fact that he was, you know, behind that camera at the BBC, I think doing some of these children's shows, or at least very creative types of television shows, and again, his interaction with all kinds of creative people, I think all of that just feeds into the storytelling that at least for a children's author can be really helpful and meaningful. Again, it might be a little harder for somebody who writes for adults. And interestingly, Michael Bond was kind of an accidental writer for children, I think. And even when he started writing the story of Paddington, um, he was encouraged by his agent to write about this stuffed bear in his home because he was, he had a case of writer's block. He didn't know what to write about. So his, his agent said, well, look around the room. And, you know, they were on the phone. He said, look around the room and tell me what you see. And he said, I see this bear, you know, and he said, we'll write about that bear. So he started to write the story and he knocked it out in like 10 days, which is unbelievable. And he said at first he didn't really intend the story to be for children or he hadn't intended to write for children and it just sort of happened. So from there going forward, that was where he found the most success. I mean, even his, even his autobiography of bears and forebears, I mean, there's some, some raunchy things and, you know, he wasn't necessarily a, I mean, he definitely was a, you know, pretty sort of genteel man and polite and all those things, but he was, you know, he had a sense of humor about him, but he really found his niche in writing for children. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting that it was inspired by his agent. So did you read any of the stories that Michael Bond wrote before, you know, he he was trying he was trying to get published for a long time and be successful and he did have some success. But was he trying to write for children before or was that He was. So I have you know, I've read some of the Olga Olga, some about his guinea pig and things like that, but I've mm-hmm. read some others other than Paddington, but I really have never read his very early works that um, I know he really started writing more in earnest when he was stationed in Cairo, I think. Mm. And he would be sort of camped out in the desert and I think a little bit bored and they were would while away their time, you know, hours in the desert without a whole mm-hmm. lot to do at particular times anyhow. So he started writing and sending things off to 
publications, but they were not children's publications. Uh-huh. At least from my research, primarily, I mean, perhaps he did have a story here and there for children, but I think, you know, Paddington most definitely was where he found success and realized, hey, I can, I can write for children. Who knew? So yeah. And the rest is history. I want to just read a little bit, just the beginning here of Paddington. So the, the listeners who aren't familiar with him can get a sense of him. Uh, So this is the very beginning of the very first book. Mr. and Mrs. Brown first met Paddington on a railway platform. In fact, that was how he came to have such an unusual name for a bear, because Paddington was the name of the station. The Browns were waiting to meet their daughter, Judy, when Mr. Brown noticed something small and furry near the left luggage office. It looks like a bear, he said. A bear, repeated Mrs. Brown, in Paddington Station? Don't be silly, Henry, there can't be. But Mr. Brown was right. It was sitting on an old leather suitcase marked Wanted on Voyage, and as they drew near, it stood up and politely raised its hat. Good afternoon, it said. May I help you? That's very kind of you, said Mr. Brown, but as a matter of fact, we were wondering if we could help you. You're a very small bear, said Mrs. Brown. Where are you from? The bear looked around carefully before replying darkest Peru. I'm not really supposed to be here at all. I'm a stowaway. Those beginning pages are really so So characteristic of the story, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that he offers to help them. So, you know, so sweet. It's interesting to me, you know, as you also are writing for children, you have a quote on your website from E.B. White, one of my favorites, in which he talks about that you need to write up for children and not sure. write down to children. And he says, uh, they are the most attentive, curious, eager, observant, sensitive, quick, and generally congenial readers on earth. <laughs> so sure. I wanted to ask you how much you think about that when when you write. I, yeah, I really uh, totally agree with that. And maybe that's one of the things that makes writing for for middle grade challenging, but wonderful too, is that, you know, kids of that age, they can tell when you're being inauthentic mm-hmm. or condescending mm-hmm, and they have those, those sensors. And, and also it's such a great age because it's that age where they, they can handle, you know, life is messy mm. and they can handle messy things and they're aware of tough issues and they're starting to think about the world critically and um, have opinions on those and thoughts about those issues and things that they might be going through. Yet they're not jaded yet or as even maybe, you know, a senior in high school might be or, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're just kind of starting to think about what is my place in this world. And so to catch them right at that time and maybe have an impact at that time. It's just the greatest age to write for, I think. And some of the most wonderful books, to your point about, you know, E.B. White and Charlotte's Web, I mean, they're just, there's some Mm -hmm. such wonderful middle grade books that to me are some of the most well-written, interesting, just terrific, terrific books that, you know, 
for any adults who haven't, you know, aren't like diving into to those books, I think, you know, they'd be surprised mm-hmm. at how much they really might love some of the really great middle grade books out there. And like I said, I mean, more and more, we're just, uh-huh. there's just a whole wealth of wonderful stories told by, you know, a range of voices that's, you know, really great where kids can see themselves, you know, there's a, there's a mirror for every kid, mm. whether that's, you know, and, and some of the books are also tackling more difficult subjects, mm-hmm. but handling them, you know, in the, in a manner that is appropriate for kids. I know, I know there's sort of all this uproar about book banning and things like that, but I just, you know, let them read it all, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because, it's it's such a critical time. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's it's a little bit a uh, complicated topic I want to talk about here, but I'm going to try it. And that is that you know, I think children are much more capable of of putting things in perspective as you say. And one of the things I really liked about your book and is really, you know, honoring Michael Bond's legacy too is this interplay between joy and sorrow. And I have a, I have a little friend who I won't name, who um, even at a very young age really rebelled against books or movies where only good things happen. And mm-hmm. even at a young age, she would say, oh, th- you know, this movie is stupid because, you know, only good things happen. And yeah, I think that's sometimes a mistake that we make with, material that's designed for children. And it's really something that Michael Bond didn't do and that mm-hmm. you didn't do in your book either, that you you talk about the tough topics. I mean, it's not lost on me that today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Michael was obviously very touched by that and, and was very influenced, of course, by his literary agent who was a refugee. And so I you know, I wanted to ask you about how you, like, did you have tough decisions when you decided what you were going to put in the book and what you weren't? I did have a couple of tough decisions, honestly. You know, I certainly didn't, it wasn't really a conscious decision about the interplay between joy and sorrow, because that was, you know, that is life. And again, children understand, they do understand at this age that life is messy and not just happy and rosy like your your young friend. And again, that that would not be an authentic, authentic story about his life because nobody has a perfect, happy life. And it wouldn't make much of a story. But I think that in Bond's, in Michael Bond's case, his persistence was a driving factor to his huge success. And so there's that takeaway for kids that, you know, never give up. Mm-hmm. Again, he he said that he would, you know, he could have wallpapered his entire house or room or in rejection slips. And, you know, I get that. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of writers do. And people do, you know, in any in any field, even when they're young, children get that. They try it out for the team. They don't make it. They do this. Yep. They do that. You know, they feel like, you know, all these, it sounds cliche, but if you never give up and, you know, and and persist, which is certainly what he did. There's always uh, a chance that uh, for huge success in whatever that may be or whatever that may mean for the individual. And so I hoped that there's a hopeful message that's really important in middle grade in general, that if you tackle the tough topics, that um, you end on a, a hopeful note. And I did have a couple of difficult 
decisions, though, there was the issue not of divorce per se, um, mm-hmm. but of you know he he was married a couple of times. He had a child out of wedlock. So I actually you know debated whether to to talk about his son. I actually don't mention his son in the book, and that was more of a decision by my editor than me. Mm. You know, I was more wanting to put his son in, but they chose not to. I see. And um, the other was, you know, I do touch on that. He went through some dark times, but, you know, Mm -hmm. he actually was, you know, had a period of time where he was steeped in depression. He was drinking too much. And so I don't get too heavily into detail, but I did want to touch on the fact that, you know, life as great as everything should have been, life felt dark. You know, Mm -hmm. he was overworked and felt like he was not doing everything he could to be with his family and but all things told, ultimately, he was a wonderful, you know, father. And the amazing thing and another, you know, big point of the whole story about, you know, Michael and Paddington Bear is he genuinely felt that Paddington Bear helped pull him through these tough times. So, I mean, he relied on that bear. He, he always sort of said, I wish I could be like him. But he was like, you know, he, he actually was. That They were sort of one and the same. He felt like Paddington was like, you know, sort of better bear person in some ways. (laughs) But but that was really just part of Michael Vaughn. That was, you know. Uh So I just think that in and of itself is just a really cool thing, you know, that a writer can lean on his imaginary character. It might sound kind of crazy, but it's to me, it's not. I understand sort of living when when a character's in your head and you're mm-hmm. you know 24 7 thinking about them thinking you know he was thinking about what's the next bit of trouble Paddington could get into what's you know what will happen to him um day in and day out he felt genuinely close to this bear mm-hmm. yeah I like that yeah motto for all of us what would Paddington do <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Yep. Be yeah. great. Be a great. bear more like Paddington. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have this really uh, cool scene in the book where he's talking to Paddington and he says to him, The world is filled with grief. I have seen quite a bit of it in my life. And whatever sorrow you have, please share it with me. Sharing it might make you feel a little bit better. And so yeah, there's sort of this complicated thing where Paddington is helping him and he's offering mm-hmm. to to help Paddington. And then we ourselves feel drawn into that, right? That that maybe part of hearing Michael Bond's story or Paddington's story also kind of does that for us too, right? That mm-hmm. there's something really community-minded about all of that and about how we deal with grief. I don't know how conscious you were of that, but I thought that was really cool. The the way that book is so empathetic, but acknowledging that there is grief in the world, and that mm-hmm. and Michael Bond did see a lot of grief. I mean, that was a really tough time, mm-hmm. World War II, and then the aftermath of World War II in England. And and also, I think you know part of the genuine af- affinity everybody has for Paddington Bear, or you know fans of Paddington Bear, is. You know, he, he sometimes he is a little bit bumbling or, you know, mm-hmm. and that's okay. He's mm-hmm. terrific and good natured and wonderful and, you know, smart, but he makes mistakes. But somehow he 
finds a way out. So he is not a perfect, not a perfect <laughs> bear, just a really good natured one who found for the most part, he would always find the positive in things. Yeah. And we make mistakes too. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but, but yeah, what carries him through is his genuine kindness mm-hmm. and politeness and his care about other people. So yeah, I like that. We all need to be, we all need to be channeling we do. our we inner Paddington. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I agree. A couple of things that he talks there that you talk about in the book that were, you know, really tough was he, uh, you mentioned in the book that he was in contact with a lot of women who had lost their husbands in the war. And he would benefited from that, these aunties. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, he acknowledged that they were often very sad. And there were a couple of children, I guess, that his parents also took in who he said, you know, they were very, very sad. They wanted to be with their own families. And it was hard for them to be in England. And yeah, it's very touching. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think those boys had, and I, you know, during my research, I really tried to, um, that was difficult. I tried to find, you know, more details about these young boys. They would pop up in different places. Mm. And he repeatedly talked about the impact that these boys had. And clearly, you know, they were, you know, some of the first refugee children that he came into close contact with mm-hmm. and saw how sad they were. And like you said, the aunties too, the aunties were just sort of fun, but sad. Yeah. They were, they were characters that they, they, he had just some funny stories about them, mm-hmm. but those boys, I think, again, they had a lot of influence on the Paddington character, at least thinking about what would it be like yeah. to be in a world where you were without family where you were you were torn apart from your family just you know it planted the seed for Mm -hmm. his character seeing through their eyes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah his father was in a militia too Mm -hmm. again sort of very you know upstanding in that way and you know all kinds of experiences shaped him having to go to school where he didn't (laughs) he didn't want to go to the you know the private school He didn't like school much, dropping out of school, you know. So to your point earlier, he didn't really have a traditional path. But you can see so many pieces of these things in his books. Mm -hmm. And of course, you have to think that that's partly what makes these stories so compelling, right? There's something Mm -hmm. that really draws us into Paddington's. And, you know, if it's that, Mm -hmm. as you say, that authenticity, that empathy, but somehow we're so struck Right. By the idea mm-hmm. of this little bear showing up with just a nearly empty jar of marmalade. <laughs> right. It seems like such a simple story, too. But when you really like peel back the layers, you know, there's some complexity to what he mm-hmm. created, you mm-hmm. know, and that's part of what makes it so great. Mm-hmm. That's part of the talent, you know, his talent. I mean, that that's just an amazing talent for it to be able to to do that, to to create a character like that. And um have it beloved year after year after year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also, well, two things, you know, the problems that he was facing during the forties and fifties really were pretty serious problems, right? Mm-hmm. You know, war, death, 
uh, refugees. I mean, you know, discrimination, um, you know, genocide. I mean, really terrible, terrible, huge kind of mind-blowingly horrible topics. But he had this sense of play. And there's this discussion that you talk about how he and his wife used to take Paddington to the restaurant with them and the eat with with Paddington there beside them. And uh, it's such a funny image, right? And, Mm -hmm. and, And, you know, it takes some courage, right, to do something that's so unconventional. And so, yeah, on one hand, you have these really terrible things happening around him. And then on the other, he's just got this really joyful, you know, oh, well, let's take the bear to eat with us today. Right, right. He wasn't just, you know, any teddy bear to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, you know, the Paddington bear that Michael surprised his wife with on Christmas Eve. And together they decided to name this teddy bear Paddington. And from then on, he was just always sort of around, I guess, especially after he started writing these stories, the bear took on a life of his own. And it does seem really unusual that they would take him everywhere as grown adults to restaurants. And right. I know they even took him on airplanes and occasionally <laughs> he would sit in the cockpit. <laughs> the pilots, you know, loved having him. I, <laughs> I guess by then he was extremely famous. Mm. Um, and, you know, that just showed that affinity that Michael developed for his character. And, you know, I wonder sometimes if almost like a child with not not saying that he was childlike, but he did have, you know, you do have to think like a child sometimes. And maybe just like a child is comfortable or is, feels more comfortable when they're holding their teddy bear with their their stuffed animal. Maybe having the bear around made M- Michael more comfortable being mm-hmm. himself. Um, maybe he represented a more outgoing part of Michael or mm-hmm. without him, he felt this other half of him was missing again, just like children develop attachments to their stuffed animals. And, but Michael had essentially brought this bear to life and that is really how he viewed him. I mean, genuinely, you know, he really did. So I guess to him, <laughs> it didn't seem so strange. Uh-huh. Yeah, I wonder if he's sort of, sort of a reminder, right, for a certain model or a reminder of a certain approach to life or attitude toward mm-hmm. life. So if you have him with you, then it's sort of like, yeah, don't forget. <laughs> this is I think I think it makes sense. <laughs> you know, just like you might have like your therapy dog or whatever, you know, right, yeah, your right, dog with exactly. you only right. as they just, He's a service or service teddy bear. <laughs> And, right, right. I mean, he did. He always did love animals. He mm. had the eggs. You know, again, mm-hmm. his books, you know, Olga to Polga. And in fact, I had somebody write, you know, I, you try not to read too many of your reviews. I mean, I've been fortunate with, you know, decent ones. But people, <laughs> writers always say, do not read your Goodreads. Don't, don't even look at it. <laughs> Even publishers say that, you know, don't ever read Goodreads. But I, I did have... <laughs> somebody reviewed the book and they said something about um, how it was unfortunate that I didn't go into greater depth about some of the other books that he wrote. Um, ah, such like Olga like de Polga, yeah. Yeah, and I thought, well, okay, I did mention them. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't completely overlook them. I'm not 
I'm not trying to be critical of the critique necessarily, uh-huh. but I did mm-hmm. think, well, it's about Paddington Bear. <laughs> That's what uh-huh. the book is about, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'd, t- I'd completely forgotten about Olga de Polga until you mentioned okay. uh, those books in the in the, mm-hmm. in the the book. Yeah, and like you said, you were a Winnie the Pooh fan. Occasionally you might get somebody who said, well, you know, I'm just more of a Winnie the Pooh fan. And that was <laughs> to the point of rejection. Th- those were a couple of a couple of editors that we submitted <laughs> to. There were one or two that said, well, I'm more of a Winnie the Pooh fan. That <laughs> so just strikes me as so couldn't... ludicrous. I just, and that's so funny. It's like, well, there's just not enough room in the world for two bears. Sorry. Right, <laughs> right. Like, what the heck? And I get it. I get it. It's not their <laughs> cup of tea. Excuse the pun, I guess. Mm. But, you know, an editor certainly has to love it. And for whatever reason, it just didn't resonate if they're not, you know, a Paddington bear fan. But again, I hope that that others enjoy the story. It's not not just for Paddington fans. You can certainly learn about Michael Bond and mm-hmm. his inspiration as a writer without caring that much about these particular books. And and I think that, mm-hmm. you know, that that's really the transcending issue here in talking about more than marmalade is that you know, if you're interested in learning about somebody who became a children's writer and was mm-hmm. phenomenally successful, you know, you might be interested in this in this story right. too. I really appreciated that you included quite a lot of factual information in the book, even though it is, or maybe especially because it's targeted at the middle grades. And, you know, those facts are just astonishing. 150 books, 35 million copies. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and right. two movies. And then I didn't know that, that they put Paddington uh, through the channel tunnel when it was built. That just <laughs> cracked me up. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I mean, not to to generalize too much, but I really think that in you know, in England and Britain, they're, they're just crazy about Paddington, you know, especially mm-hmm. overseas. Whereas, like, I, I mean, Winnie the Pooh too, but, but again, I just, there's something so, so British about mm-hmm. Paddington Bear mm-hmm. that um, in his whole persona, I think more than Winnie the Pooh. Um, and I love Winnie the Pooh, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah. I mean, it's true. Yeah. One is American and one is uh well, I guess Winnie the Pooh is English yeah, the also. Pooh was, yeah, no. Was British also. Uh-huh. Just, I guess we just know, think British. of it as the whole Disney thing once they put the red right. shirt on of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Paddington really embraces, you know, Michael Bond really embraced that British piece of Paddington, I think, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. And tea and yeah, yep. 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 and everything. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And, and you mentioned there's also a constellation that's named after him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. So all of these things were also really fun for me because, of course, I didn't know mm. know all of that too. But um, but again, it just goes to show you that he really was enormously, enormously successful. And throughout it all, I think you know he was just such a humble, somewhat quiet, mm. just unassuming person. Mm. And um, like we spoke of earlier, all of those qualities are. There is my dog. <laughs> all, all of those qualities are just things that made me wish that I had really, really, you know, met him at some point. I felt like I was getting to know him, but 
it makes me sad to think, you know, he had passed just shortly before I wrote the book. He did appear he did appear in the first movie as a cameo where he tips his hat from the train car. And he he really did love the first movie also. Did you like the movies? Yes, yes. I, I haven't seen yeah. them. So oh, yeah, haven't, I haven't really seen them. Mm-hmm. Are they? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always a little nervous when they make movies of children's books because often they often they do take out, you know, some of that interplay between joy and sorrow and make them kind of dumb. And so, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you liked it. You you would um, probably really appreciate them. They, the second one, even on Rotten Tomatoes, I think until very, very, very recently, one person wrote a negative review. Mm. But until then... Um, even like up until 2021 or 2020, it was the most well-reviewed movie on all of Rotten Tomatoes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it had a hundred percent fresh. So oh wow. Like, people love yeah. it. Yeah. People love them. Love oh. them. So now they're, um, yeah, I mean, they're actually like critics, you know, sort of these critically acclaimed classics almost. And the, which is, which is wonderful because they, you know, to do anything else to your point would be a disservice. Mm-hmm. So Michael did see the first one and he was really, really pleased with it. Nice. Um, and then, but they are actually in the process of making a third one. Oh, so that's exciting. But I think it's a different director. Uh-huh. But yeah, they are. I think it's officially in process. Nice. Well, I will definitely have to check those out now. I'm all, <laughs> I'm all fired up about padding. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, watch the movies. So my last question for you here, do you have any advice for authors who would like to write for the middle grades? Sure. You know, the first is kind of cliche, you know, read, 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 mm. but it's, I mean, it could not be more true. Just read get your hands on as many, you know, middle grade novels as you possibly can and immerse yourself in, you know, immerse yourself around children. Mm-hmm. A lot of middle grade writers are, you know, school librarians and things like that, teachers, school librarians, <gasps> particularly if you have children around that age or at least remember what it was like to have children around that age just to really, you know, get in the head, heart and mind and in trying to capture that voice, going back to the books, you know, sort of figure out which ones you like best, which ones resonate the most with you and think about, you know, write, write down, what is it about the book that I love so much? Is it the voice of the characters, the plot? Is it, Mm. you know, the way the characters interact? Is it the dialogue? You know, just what is it that you really love about it? And you can kind of use those as, you know, what we always say are mentor texts. And those are really important to have mentor text, you know, a voice that you really love that you might try to kind of mimic. I mean, obviously, it's going to be always unique to you as a writer, but it's very helpful to, you know, have, again, you know, like if you really love E.B. White, you know, maybe you want to to read that book a couple more times and you know E.B. White used some really wonderful dialogue in Charlotte's Web and oh my goodness talk about the way a story begins where they're going out to the barn with an axe right to kill Wilbur right yeah such a wonderful start to a book yeah speaking of joy and sorrow yeah 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 (laughs) right I mean like we said those beginnings are so difficult 
and, and so wonderful. I mean, they can be so wonderful. They kind of make or break it for a child, whether they want to keep breeding or not. So those would be my suggestions. You know, listen to listen to kids and read all you can. And I, I've found it very helpful, too, to be a member of things like SCBWI, mm-hmm. the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, go to workshops and things like that. And it's um, or conferences. But, you know, just invest just to start invest in SCBWI. And um, there's a lot of, you know, because of COVID now, there's so many more virtual opportunities to hone your craft than ever before, which is really great. Whereas if before you maybe couldn't afford to travel to a conference or now you can just do it right from your living room and hear from fantastic, you know, authors, editors, learn more about the business. So there's really very accessible ways now to also get into the industry. Yeah, well, thank you for the book that you've written. Like I say, I was really impressed with it. I think you've done it, such a great job thank with you. it. And it's such a nice service to, to Paddington and to his legacy. I hope so. I hope so. So before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience, uh, your website, where they can find the book or any project or any event that you're trying to promote? You can go to roseannetolan.com and that is my website and you can purchase the book there. So that would be great. And um, I do have, you know, primarily right now I'm, I'm working on a middle grade, another middle grade historical fiction novel. Oh, and um, I'm, I'm waiting to hear, you know, some news on that that should be coming in the next month or so. So stay tuned. I'm not sure what the news will be. Uh huh. Cool. Um, but yeah, that is that is off in the hands of some editors. And I have uh, recently finished a picture book that my agent and I intend to send out about. This is an example of how a, a story can take many iterations before it. It kind of lands on one that feels right. But many years ago, I started a project about women in sports mm-hmm. and then an anthology. And then that sort of from there became a middle grade nonfiction biography about Greta Weitz, who was broke marathon records, having only run the marathon never. Um, oh. <laughs> she was really amaz- amazing, a Norwegian woman and just a really incredible person and athlete. So that book, though, we didn't have success, at least on a first round of submission. Um, so I, I recently had an editor request that I write a, that I turn it into a picture book. So mm. I did that. I wrote it as a picture book, which I'm, I see. I'm really fond of the way the picture book turned out, but that doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily, again, you have to have a thick skin and be able to handle, you know, some rejection along the way. But um, so just, that idea of persistence, you know, started as an anthology, became a middle grade, then became a picture book, and you just kind of keep going. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also working on a graphic novel. So that is oh. something completely new for me. I'm not, I wasn't familiar with them. So I got lots of books and did some research on graphic novels. I really didn't grow up reading a lot of comics, but this has been a lot of fun. And, you know, many, many kids are. There's more and more great graphic novels out there, too, Mm -hmm. that kids are really gravitating to. So that has been a very fun project. But I'm just in the midst of that. So that's what's going on. But, um, yeah, go to the website. I would I would love that. 
Oh, that's great. I'm glad you're uh, pursuing these different things, you know, wherever, wherever the wind is taking you. That's really mm-hmm. neat. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, again, the, the industry is very much a waiting game. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, you've done quite a bit of writing. So, you know, these things can take a very long time. So in the meantime, while you're waiting and waiting, um, it's always great to whether you're just working on your craft or writing, writing, writing. That's what I always feel is the most. That's what always makes me feel feel great, you know, is to just always kind of tackle that next project and keep on learning and keep growing. And um, I'm fortunate that I get to do what I do. Really fortunate. So I'm grateful for all of it. Well, we really appreciate it. So yeah, thank you so much for the book and for the work that you keep on keeping on. And thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Jennifer. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out the show notes for additional information about this episode. And give us a like or a thumbs up on Podomatic or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love to have your support on Patreon. And get in touch. We'd love to hear from you through the internet or Twitter or whatever means works for you. And finally, thanks to Caffeine Creek for the theme music.